Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, the nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of our Valentine's Day special episode where our wives have curated side A of a mixtape featuring songs about falling in love. That's right. It is the wives' picks. We've never done done something like this before, relinquished our control and allowed somebody else to, to pick the music. But um, it's Valentine's Day. So, you know, who better to step in and take over for us than, you know, the women we've decided to spend our lives with. Um, it's a little unusual, though, because, you know, when we defend our choices, we've chosen those songs. Right. Now, a, a lot of the music that my wife chose, I like as well. But it's kind of odd because we're defending someone else's choices. Exactly. I um, Well, and, you know, I even told Gail that I, I may very likely be critical about some of her picks. But I, I think she... She has she has a very eclectic mix. I, I I think she did a great job. So I don't think I'm going to, don't think my my music snobbery is going to come out per se. But definitely not the list I would have chosen. So you know it, it's it's refresh. It, it's kind of neat. I don't I I don't know that I would ever want to do this again because the entire time I kept thinking of what songs I would want on this mixtape. Sure, but, sure. But um, no, it was a great idea. I I think it's a lot of fun. I. I hope uh, it, it connects with our listeners. I mean, you know, it's it's not often we get a female point of view. Right, so. right. Well, I don't think we've ever had a female no, point of view. No, so. we haven't, actually. <laughs> and not and not once. Um, well, this is our, yeah, mid, mid-winter little special episode, just so we don't forget how to do this. <laughs> which happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like every first episode back every season, I especially the closing, I have no idea what it is I'm supposed to say. You write it down. I'm yes, not, I'm of not course that, I do. I'm not that smart, <laughs> so... Um, but no, it, it feels good to be behind the microphone again. It's it's been been a while since we recorded the the holiday specials. Yep, so yeah, and we'll be back again then in May for the fourth season. So correct. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get started. Yeah, let's do this. All right. Well, side A. Um, I begin, of course. I I did something. Um, just just to kind of give me a frame of reference, I asked my wife to actually give me her reason for picking the songs that she did. Okay. So every song begins, my notes here begin with, you know, her justification. Um, this is what she said about song number one. She said, this one is a banger, a fun, upbeat song about falling in love, and it is effing queen. She didn't say effing, but I will say <laughs> effing. Uh, it is effing queen. I love the vibe of the song, its rockabilly influence, and the collective call and response of a rousing Ready Freddy. My family used to say Ready Freddy all the time when I was a kid, and after hearing the song for the first time, I have often wondered if the song introduced the phrase. 
So if you can't figure it out by what she said, the first song on this side A is Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen. 1979, it hit number one, and it comes from the album The Game. one of my favorite walking bass lines in all of rock and roll oh yeah it's just so much fun it is absolutely um okay so what do i have to say about the song um well first of all freddie mercury he, he wrote this while queen was recording the game in germany and freddie acknowledged that perhaps it was his limited talent on the guitar that helped shape the song a crazy little thing called love he said took him only five to ten minutes and he said he did it on the guitar, which he can't, which he couldn't, not can't, he could not uh, play for nuts, he said. And in one way, it was a good thing because he was restricted knowing only a few chords. So he said it was a good discipline because he simply had to write within a small framework. He couldn't work through too many chords. And because of that restriction, he thought he wrote a damn fine song. Uh, so... This one has always interested me, though. I, I love the song, and it, it is—it's one of my favorite Queen songs, actually. But but this is more Elvis Presley than Queen. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's it definitely is, an Elvis. Yeah, Elvis homage. It, it is definitely in tribute to to rockabilly. So I, my wife Gail, got that much, uh, you know, spot on. Speaking of Elvis, did you see the the new Boz Luhrmann film? I did. Yeah, it was good. I did. I really good. really enjoyed it. Um, I have. And then there were some embellishments, I'm, I'm sure. Sure, but, but it was fun. It, was it took really me a while to get used to uh, Tom Hanks in a fast I suit. I know. Oh man, that was <laughs> and that accent. I mean, it, I know it was, it was more frustrating than Forrest Gump. It was just but, very Irish. <laughs> very, but no, it was it was actually a very, very good film. Yep, I, I yep. really enjoyed it. Well, the, I forget the actor's name now, but uh, who played Elvis was? Uh, yeah. He's an up and coming star for sure. He really is. He hosted yeah. SNL as well. You know, it was really interesting because it, in some scenes he looked like Elvis. Mm-hmm. And in other scenes, he looked nothing like, like I, I, it kept going back and forth for me, but nah, it didn't bother me. I, I thought the film was fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, like sorry about that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. No, it's just uh, just that. The, the song is more Elvis Presley than Queen. It's, it's a completely different sound for the group than most of their other hits, but the fans loved it. Um, this was the first song in which Freddie Mercury played rhythm guitar, actually. He was keen to keep the song minimal, despite his limited guitar knowledge, and producer... Uh, Mac claimed that he rushed into the studio after writing it 
uh, to record it, he said, before Brian could get there. <laughs> he also played the guitar solo on the original recording, but those tastes were lost, so Brian May, uh, in fact, played the solo instead using a Fender Telecaster to achieve the period sound. May didn't seem to like playing another guitar, and even when playing live after performing the solo on the Telecaster, he would immediately switch back to his Red Special. You know, that's a guitar that he designed. His dad was an engineer. Brian May probably would have been like an electrical engineer had Queen not taken off. And he and his father actually built that guitar themselves, and he continued to play that the rest of his career. I did not know that. Yeah. That is very cool. Very cool. Crazy little thing called love. This, this I found really interesting. At first, this was not released in the U.S. They had no intention of releasing this in the United States. Um, the album was not out yet, and radio stations uh, here here in the states they they started uh, playing import copies of the single, and this led Queen's record company to release it in America, which they had not intended to do. Uh, it was released here about three months after. It had come out. What in, year was in this England. again? Like 80... 1979. Oh, 79. 79. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Mercury's name, and Gail referenced this, is in the lyrics. He sings, Are You Ready? And the band sings, Ready Freddy. Uh, this section took on a, a poignant edge after Mercury's death when the song was performed with guest singers because the lyric was, has never been altered, regardless of the vocalist. And fans, they do. They, they take this opportunity to bellow the Ready Freddy lyric back at the band in remembrance of of Freddie. So um, I thought it was a great pick. You know, I, I really, this one is just, it, it's fun and it's, it's upbeat. I, I think she, she started with a, a great choice for side A. It's weird. I remember seeing the video a lot on MTV when MTV first premiered. So maybe it was, maybe it was just the fact that they didn't have enough videos. That was the problem at the beginning. And so since Queen had been making videos since Bohemian Rhapsody, they were just playing an old song or was it 79 in England and maybe it became a hit later in the U.S.? Uh, well, it, they released it three months later here. Oh, okay. I, so, yeah, I, it it might have been late 79. It's probably just they were playing yeah. videos that they had. I mean, it might have been late 79, so yeah. it might have been early 1980 here. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure about the month, but yeah. um, I have no memory of a video for this song. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time, but I, it, the video is kind of an, an homage to Elvis as well, if I remember. Um, hmm. Freddie's wearing a leather jacket. It's just kind of, uh, you know, the band's playing in front of a backdrop or whatever. It's just a kind of a, you know, pseudo performance type thing. Got but, it. Yeah, and yeah, no, I, I don't remember that at all. Hmm. Had to go and take a look. But anyway, that was her, her first song. Crazy right. Little Thing Called Love. All right. Well, with my wife's first song, she went with uh, um, an artist that, you know, I've talked before about the Venn diagram of music between my wife and I. We both have our very distinct tastes. But occasionally, those tastes overlap. <clears throat> I shouldn't say occasionally. It's, it's, it's quite a bit. But, you know, we don't, we, the, the stuff we don't agree on, we definitely don't agree on, if that makes sense. So it's really nice that we have these artists that, you know, and, and style of music that we enjoy together. And um, James Taylor is one that um, the two of us have been listening to since we met. And, uh, you know, we met back uh, in, in the end of high school. So we've been together now for over 30 years, which is crazy. But um, this is Whenever I See Your Smiling Face from 1977 from the album JT. Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself because I love you. Yes, I do. 
you give me that pretty little pout It turns me inside out There's something about you, baby I don't know Isn't it amazing a man like me can feel this way Tell me how much longer It will grow stronger every day Door. But that was long before I met you Now I'm sure that I won't forget you And I thank my lucky stars That you are who you are And not just another lovely lady Sent down to break my heart Isn't it amazing a man like me Can feel this way Tell me how much longer It can grow stronger every day What a great album, you know. Oh, it's fantastic. It was kind of a second stage in his career where he kind of, I don't know why I see it that way. I kind of see the beginning of his career up to here and then here up to like the 80s and then from then on. But Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, actually, I put the song on the first mixtape I ever made for her. So this is Gen X mixtape, right? Um, I probably made 20 mixtapes over the course of our dating Maybe oh. a couple when we were married. Yeah, oh, the same. And same. this was number one that I would have made back in 1991. Um, most listeners assumed that the song was about Taylor's partner at the time, who was Carly Simon. However, one Taylor biographer claims the song is actually about their daughter, who was about three at the time. That is a bit disturbing when I think... You thought he was in love a couple of times before with the girl next door. Well, I, what I think probably happened was he probably wrote it. It was probably inspired by his daughter okay. and her smile. Okay. And probably tailored the lyrics to make it a love song near the end. Let's hope. But I, well, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I think I'm, the impetus, I'm, though, that makes sense. I'm being you know? facetious, yeah. Because it's such, a, it's such an, a, a great pop song, you know? Oh, it is. Um, yeah. It's great spirit in that song. The song went to number 11 on Billboard. And uh, critics praised uh, his vocals on the track. Um, he, someone said uh, he had vocal gymnastics because the, the range for the song is, is, is pretty large. In fact, in later years, he had a really difficult time singing the higher falsetto mm-hmm. parts. Oh, yeah. Um, of course, Billy Joel had the, you know, I think all artists do as they, as they age. Um, one critic referred to the song as a pop sonnet, which I thought was nice. Pop sonnet. Yeah. That's, that's romantic. I like, I like that. <laughs> a pop sonnet. But it's one of those songs that I'm sorry, I can never get sick of. And, you know, you want to tap your foot and move to it. Um, it's one of those songs where if you're having a bad day, if you pop this in, you know, most likely your spirits will rise. They definitely will. Yeah. yeah. This one. And, and what I always liked about this, it's it's more upbeat than most of Taylor's yes, music. It is. I mean, Taylor, I, I love James Taylor, but he is he is a a fan of the ballad, right. you know, without question. This one, I mean, this is not... It, it's not dance worthy, but it, it's definitely more up tempo than than his usual fare. Yep. And I've I've loved the song from the moment I've heard it years and years ago. So no, I thought Barry had fantastic first pick. I know why I think of this as the second part of his career because greatest hits covered the earlier stuff. Right. Part one, and then volume two, I believe, included. That would this. be true. Yeah. So that's where that's why I'm thinking that way. No. Nope. Yeah. Very true. I um, you know, I James Taylor is an interesting artist to me because I love his work from the 70s. I honestly do not know anything the man has recorded since probably the early 80s. 
I mean, I know his covers. He's well, done a number of covers, he, but... Pretty big album was That's Why I'm Here. Um, which I remember that coming out. Because Only One was a big single, I believe. Okay. I, I don't even know that I remember Only One. And, I, um, and that was like mid-80s, um, maybe late. But, you know, he's continued to produce. But yeah, he hasn't had the commercial success. Right. And he's, he's squarely now into the adult contemporary. Well, he's, he's the embodiment of it. I mean, it, once yeah. these 60s pop artists, singer-songwriters got into the 80s and started, you know, kind of incorporating a lot of the technology, the synthesizers, and so forth. I mean, Chicago's a perfect example of that. <laughs> it went from the swinging, jazzy, horn section band, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, to uh, to David Foster. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, just, just the, you know, just the move from uh, 25 or 6 to 4 to you're the inspiration. I mean, you don't even have to get to Foster. Just Peter Cetera when he took over the band. There was a song I put on her tape, the same first mixtape from Chicago, Once in a Lifetime, oh. which we had both kind of forgotten about. I love that song. It is a great pop song, but mm-hmm. the production is so 80s that she decided to leave it off. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there are a lot of other Chicago songs that she likes better, but yeah. it was kind of this was kind of tough when picking because we had to pick a song on the topic, right, Falling in Love, right, uh, and a song that she liked, and it had, you know, I mean, a lot of the songs, a lot of the music she listens to is more modern, so we're trying to keep as much in the Gen X, but I think she did a nice job. Anyway, that's my first pick. Yeah, I love it. Love the song, love James Taylor. Great pick. Um, okay, well, here is... Gill's second. Uh, it's something to talk about by Bonnie Ray. on the Hot 100. And here is her justification, Gail's reasoning for the song. She said, I love Bonnie Raitt's voice. Her lustrous tone and distinct falsetto make it pretty easy to distinguish her singing. Also, a multi-instrumentalist, she is, in my opinion, very underrated for how phenomenally talented she is. And as a blues artist, she rivals the bluesmen that we think of when discussing the genre. I also come from a small town where gossip ruled. But as presented in this song, it affords the singer with an opportunity to find love as others know she is in love before she knows it herself. Oh, and I liked the movie. I, I, I had to admit my ignorance. I have no idea what movie she's... I'm assuming the movie is oh. titled Something to Talk About. Uh, it's, it was a Dennis... Um, what can I think? Dennis Quaid movie, I think. Is it? I, might, I don't know if it's called Something to Talk About, but I do remember... I remember, again, because there was a video for this song, and I believe Dennis Quaid was in the video. 
Okay. Um, again, I'm not sure if they were just clips from the movie or if he was actually in the video. I seem to remember he was actually in the video, like okay. he made an appearance. Yeah, I, I have... I, if there is a movie titled Something to Talk About, I have never seen it, but I will take her word for it. She said she likes the movie, so um, there you go. And, and Bonnie Raitt, by the, by the way, is one of those artists that, in the 80s, because I believe the song came out in the 80s, right? Late Ni- 80s? 91. 91, okay. 91, yeah. um, I never kind of crossed over into that adult contemporary. No, she didn't. This, this sounds very timeless. It does, yeah. yeah. Ray, well, Bonnie Raitt, is a, she's a blues artist, first and foremost, but she's also dabbled in country. I mean, she, she really... She has crossed over and hit the charts in any number of genres. Yeah. I mean, she's been very, um, very prominent, very prevalent, you know, across the spectrum. Um, it's one of the things I, I most admire about her. Um, and, okay, for, for my take, this song, and, and, you know, again, my wife brought this up and she was not, uh, not wrong. The song accurately sums up small town gossip <laughs> and the effect that it has on a person. Um, I lived in my wife's small town for three years and everybody knew everybody's business or they thought they did. And uh, rumors just, I mean, they, they spread like wildfire. So, you know, just this very idea that people are, are starting rumors and here, I mean, the representation is wonderful because it leads to, to romance, but yeah, small town America, man, it, it is it is, it is crazy. I never never had the luxury of living in a small town. Never grew up in or, or spent time I mean, in a cornfield. Can, f- corn huh? I mean, Canton <laughs> is you know it's it's a metropolis, but a mini metropolis. Right. You know, yeah. at one time it was the fastest growing city in the country, but uh, you know it's part of the Rust Belt now. So yeah. it never grew to the size of like a Cleveland or or a Pittsburgh, but definitely not a small town. No, and I I never felt comfortable in in, in the small town. I mean, I. I don't know. It was very conservative, of course, um, very religious, and and they saw me as, as this big city Jew. I always laughed at that, you know, big city coming <laughs> coming from Canton, but um, but nonetheless, yeah, I, they saw me as this big city Jew who was coming in to shake things up, and it just I don't know. Never really found my my niche, I, I guess, but um, I did find my wife, so I can't oh, complain, you, yeah. you know, in, in that respect. Um, but yeah, here, you know, the gossip of the song the outcome offers a happy ending I mean, it turns out that the singer is rumored to be having an affair which makes her take notice of the chemistry that does indeed exist between her and her good friend and because the rumors are already spreading and thinking small town America may know her better than she knows herself she asks why not give love a chance after all This thus giving others something to talk about uh, the song was written by the Canadian singer Shirley Eckerd and she had recorded in the jazz and country genres, but had most of her success as a songwriter with songs recorded by Chet Atkins, Cher, Anne Murray, and Rita Coolidge. Uh, something I did not know, something to talk about, was actually a song that Anne Murray wanted to record. Uh, according to Anne Murray's 2009 um, autobiography, All of Me, uh, she wanted to record this song in 86, but her producers didn't think it would be a hit. So. She called her 1986 album something to talk about, even though it did not include this song. Uh, Anne Murray, though, has said, uh, she's gone on record and said she's very happy that Bonnie Ray had made it a huge hit five years later. Um, for for Ray, this was her by far her biggest hit, uh, biggest chart hit in, in the U.S. Um, it, it won a Grammy Award for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, beating out Aletta Adams, Mariah Carey, Amy Grant, and Whitney Houston that year. And the song was also nominated for Record of the Year, but 
it lost Natalie Cole's duet with her father on the on the standard Unforgettable. So, um, nonetheless, yeah, but I I, ooh, I do love me some Bonnie Raitt. I mean, she is she she is a class act. So again, I think Gil. I think she did a great job. I love song pick number two. I, I think this is one of those songs that despite what genre you prefer, I, I can't think of too many people just like not liking this song. I would think it's pretty universal because like you said, um, Bonnie Raitt has performed in different genres um, and this little bit of country, there's a little bit of blues, a little bit of rock. I mean, it's kind of everything. It is. Um, kind of wrapped up into a kind of a, a more... Unitarian approach to music. <laughs> Unitarian. I like that. <laughs> All right, my turn? Yep. So excited I get to talk about this song. I've been hoping to get this song somewhere onto um, the podcast. Um, her second choice is by XTC from 1989, their album Oranges and Lemons. This is Mayor of Simpleton. Love this song. So good. talked before on the broadcasts about the perfect pop song you know and there are i have a short list of perfect pop songs and this is one of them um what's interesting is that the song seems really simple excuse the pun but it's really a lot more complex and that's why i love this because when you listen to it and if you're just listening to it without really kind of listening to it if you know what i mean oh yeah it sounds like just a real simple little pop melody there's a lot going on there so Frontman Andy Partridge started the song as a reggae <laughs> number, and then it kind of evolved from there. He settled on a chord progression and a picking pattern that's similar to, get this, Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper. Okay, now I have to go back and So if you go back listen and listen to, to it, just listen to underneath the melody, you'll hear it. And then he wrote a very, very complex, difficult bass line inspired by Bach. Yeah where the notes wow. are a direct counterpoint to the chords. In fact, um, the bass player, if I remember correctly, I don't know if Partridge played it or if the bass player was like, yeah, great, thanks. Now I have to <laughs> learn how to play this. But I guess, and so there's a lot of counterpoint. It's, it's kind of like when you have different parts and you fit them together of a puzzle and you see the whole, but you don't see the parts. That's the genius of this song. It's kind of like Brian Wilson, right? People don't think of the Beach Boys as being very complex. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to especially this stuff from mid-60s on, um, it's, you know, Good Vibration sounds like just a cool pop song, right? But if you really dig down, there's so much stuff going on under the surface. And this song kind of um, fits that as well. The result was pure alternative pop magic, uh, although the song only reached number 72 on Billboard. See, America wasn't quite ready yet for alternative music. Not yet. About five years later, this would have been probably number one. Uh, it did hit number one on the American Alternative Charts, uh, which is the highest single that they had in the U.S. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. If you haven't listened to XTC, which maybe a lot of our listeners haven't, because again, they never really kind of crossed over commercially um, to uh, America, like a lot of the other bands like The Cure and The Smiths and some other European you know, alternative bands, but man, they have some really, really good stuff. Well, I'll be honest. This is the only song I know by them. Yeah, yeah. Only, only one. And, and I've always liked it. I had no idea the work and the complexity that went into Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to go back and give this a really good listen. I mean, because I was listening to it all week. We, we share each other's, you mm-hmm. know, playlists, but I, I was not paying any close attention to the actual yeah, yeah. pieces of, of, you know, pieces of the puzzle as you say right so, right and all and, and their, their music all their music is kind of deceptively simple not all this poppy this okay. may be the poppiest song they have um but and, and lyrically too very very complex there's a song called the ballad of peter pumpkinhead hmm. um there's a, a song well um the nigel song why can't i think of it it was featured recently on a netflix black mirror episode um i can't remember the song nigel's in the cover or in the title but i remember the complete list so anyway okay you bring up a good point and I, yeah. we're probably going to detour a lot what the hell happened to Black Mirror where is it is it over no I think they're just you know it, it probably became pretty expensive to make yeah because um, they do such a nice I mean every episode's kind of um, oh, I, you know it's own own little uh, movie but um, you know they, they did a couple they had a couple extra episodes with I think one had Miley Cyrus not too long ago right that, that um, was, yeah. and then they had the, the one that um, that this song was featured in which was the alternative ending so you could pick scenes and right. every time was a different combination making plans for Nigel that's the name okay. and um, so it, I'm just hoping that they're working I, I think COVID probably slowed things down well I'm, I'm sure it did but I'm thinking I don't think we've had a new season of Black Mirror since 2018 yeah. maybe yeah. I mean, it's it's been it has been a that while. show is incredible i mean oh really. it's genius yeah it, it's twilight zone on steroids yeah i well, and you know i even started wondering you know if maybe the world got so strange the black mirror thought they couldn't compete with <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i you mean know, we kind of really it, we kinda, a, a lot of those um episodes were prophetic yeah definitely oh without question all right song number three uh, this one is by Aretha Franklin. comes from the 1972 album Young, Gifted, and Black. Hit number five on the Hot 100. It is titled Daydreaming. Day 
And here was Gail's reasoning. She said, it is Aretha. <laughs> she said, that is all that needs to be said. Who doesn't love Aretha? And she, she did go on, though. She said, this was one of my and my sister Bree's jams back in the day. Uh, when Bree, who was a year older than me, got her driver's license, the two of us would just get in the car and drive, and we would turn up Aretha and belt it out with her. Not that we ever did her justice. And she went on to say the experience was short-lived because my sister never once checked the oil in her car. She never got an oil change, and her engine eventually caught on fire. My dad was not happy. So <laughs> there's the history of, of daydreaming. That's pretty impressive. I can't wife. think of you know teenagers. Most teenagers aren't listening to Aretha Franklin. Oh yeah, no, I, <laughs> no, I, you know, I had to. I, I have always said this. My wife's music taste is phenomenal. In fact, she is more. She she says I'm a music snob, and I I suppose that's 100 percent true. But she actually is more varied and more eclectic than I am. I mean, she finds herself in every genre. So I really didn't know. I knew it would be a mixed bag, but I had no idea what she was going to be pulling for this episode. For all I knew, it could have been heavy, heavy hip hop, followed by metal, followed by world music. I, I really had, had no idea. But this one, I mean, I'm, she, I, I, I cannot refute her. It, 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 it's Aretha, and that's all that needs said, really. Um, Daydreaming was actually her 12th number one soul singer. So, so single, rather. Aretha's uh, number 12th, number one soul single. Um, and she was here daydreaming about a man who will sweep her off her feet, but not just any man. It was a very specific man. Uh, daydreaming was rather personal, she told her biographer. Um, she said, I was thinking about someone who used to be a friend of mine. I'll give you a hint. He used to be with one of the hottest groups in the country, tall, dark, and fine, is what Aretha said. But for song sleuths, Franklin's clues were easy to decipher because in 1970, the soul singer recorded You and Me, which was written by the tall, dark, and fine Dennis Edwards of the hot vocal group, The Temptations. Uh, in, in 1995, the interview with Ebony Magazine, Franklin revealed that she and Edwards were once engaged, but she got tired of waiting for him to commit. She said by the time he realized the value of what he had, it was just too late, I was no longer interested, he had drop kicked me a couple of times and I had just had enough. Um, Franklin's backing band on this is really impressive too. Donnie Hathaway is on electric piano. Bernard Purdy uh, is on drums. Chuck Rainey is on bass. Cornell Dupree is on electric guitar. Don Arnone on acoustic guitar. I don't know if you know these names, but I mean, these are legendary artists uh, going back to Muscle Shoals and to Motown. I mean, she, she pulled the greats for, for this particular track. Um, she also brought some jazz cred to the single um, because Grammy Award winner Hubert Laws is on flute. And of course, the album version, which we'll include, it, it conjures a psychedelic daydream with a jazzy intro and outro, but both sections were omitted for radio play. Um, this song has since been recorded by Mary J. Blige, Corinne Bailey Ray, Natalie Cole, Penny Ford, Rapper Cameron also covered it, apparently, on his 2002 album, Come Home With Me. Rapper T.I. used the melody in Let's Get Away from the 2003 album, Trap Music. Um, this song has not gone away. I mean, it's very much loved musically. Um, the album itself, Young, Gifted, and Black, it was named for Nina Simone's 1970 civil rights anthem, which Franklin also released as a single, and she won the 1973 Grammy Award for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance for that particular song. So, I'm glad you picked this because it's one that um, maybe a lot of people don't know. Everyone knows Respect. Um, 
you know, and you make me feel, no, wait a minute, did she, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, make yeah, me feel yeah. like a natural woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what else? Um, uh, chain of Fools. Yeah, Chain of Fools. Think. Yeah, right. I, but this is one that's that's a little more obscure than the other singles. It really is. I, you know, I I knew the song because I know Aretha, but I, this is not one you hear. I mean, it it really has, uh, it it has. It's faded into obscurity. I agree. So I I was really impressed, uh, not only with pulling Aretha, which didn't surprise me because Gail worships Aretha, but yeah, this particular track, because um, I mean, I, my go-to, I wouldn't have played or used Aretha if we were making our own mixtapes, but it first thing that comes to mind is I say a little prayer mm-hmm. you know for you is the one that I would naturally go with um, so yeah I, I agree I, I was really impressed with it as well did Aretha do that first I know Diane Warwick did it Dionne Warwick did it first oh okay and but, then Are- she did it. but Aretha Franklin's cover went higher on the charts oh did it really yeah mm-hmm. it went okay. higher on the charts nice. so alright your turn alright next song that she chose is a song called Today by Josh Rayton. This one I did not know. Came out in 2006 from the album We Were Here. Shoelaces untie. You can dry your eye. A perfect shadow's light. Behind us And this is the day I make you mine The way your hair lies Sometimes unrecognized All the way from knees to day On a train Say that there's still time And you are the one I've been waiting for today And here comes the sun It's been baiting Actually, he's kind of a local boy from Shaker Heights outside of Cleveland. Really? Yes, 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 yes. Kind of a kind of a, an indie, folky type artist. Um, he actually majored in visual art in college, but kind of picked up the guitar in college as kind of a side thing. And he started writing music, and he shared his compositions with his roommate. Now, guess who his college roommate was? No, no idea. <laughs> but I assume there's going to be a good story. Yes, here. Zach Braff. Really? Was his roommate. Okay. Oh, that is crazy. So after Zach Braff went out to Hollywood, I think they both went out to California, but after he got the starring role in Scrubs, he convinced the showrunners to use several of Josh's songs on the show, hmm. which is how he broke through. That is very cool. According to Raiden, the song was inspired, I love this story too, by an incident when he was a teenager. This is kind of the um, anti-before sunrise. He was traveling in France alone on a train and he saw this woman who he says like, what's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen? Like his soulmate, like, it, yeah, that was, that was it. 
and he didn't have the courage to talk to her. Hmm. And so she got off the train. He never saw her again. But he went home and he wrote this song. Yeah. That is sad. <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah. So it fits because it's a kind of a falling in love. I love it for sight. But that, you know, all of these are kind of a little bit different in that theme. And so oh, yeah. this Definitely. is kind of uh, an unfulfilled love or a potential love because um, as, as a younger um, boy, he just couldn't uh, get the courage to... Uh, say something to her. The song was released on his first record, like I said, in 2006, and gained a lot of recognition. So, so besides being featured on Scrubs and a lot of other TV shows eventually, it really kind of, he, he reached the peak of his popularity when Ellen DeGeneres and Portia de Rossi, when they got married, they chose this song as their wedding song. Hmm. And they put together a little montage on, on her talk show of their wedding, little, like highlights and so forth, with this song playing. Okay. And that's really what kind of brought him into the zeitgeist, if not for a short period of time commercially. Um, my wife and I had an opportunity to see him live at the Kent stage. And he did a really nice job. Although his opening act, who is Jesse Harris, I liked even more. And it's, it's weird because normally, you know, you don't like it's A lot of times the opening artist is good or you know that someday they're going to have potential or you look back. When I saw R.E.M. Indigo Girls opened up for them, you know, of course, at the time I didn't know who they were. And they would, you know, turn out to be one of my favorite bands. So, um, but yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoyed Josh Radin, but Jesse Harris became one of my favorites. I don't know. I really I, I dug this one. I, I I had never heard of him, you know. I, and certainly, if he had great commercial success, especially being a local boy, I, yeah. feel, I feel bad not knowing of him. But I, um, yeah, I didn't know the name. I didn't know the voice. I, I this was the first time I've heard his music. So, I would you recommend? You know, going out and giving a listen to Well, yeah, I mean, work. definitely. Although it's kind of funny. So I talk about the Venn diagram with my wife, but there's also <laughs> a fine line that this artist and another artist kind of revealed. So if you have the singer-songwriter, you know, indie thing, okay, Josh Radin definitely fits into that. But I see him just on one side of maybe the little more pop appeal. Okay. One of my favorite artists that my wife really hates as as so do you is Sujan <laughs> Stevens okay right and he is just a little bit on I think well depending on I should say it, some of his stuff is way way but 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 you know some of the more traditional stuff that Sujan has recorded is on the other side of that line their voices are extremely similar and their style is very similar and yet Sujan to me is great and, and Josh Radin you know I like but he I never became obsessed with him hmm. and I forget what show it was. I think it was um, my wife watched that show, This Is Us, oh, and they yeah, play yeah. a lot of music, yeah. uh, indie music. So the song came on, and um, she wasn't sure if it was Josh Radin or Sushan. And I was happy to announce that it was Sushan. I'm like, do you like the song? She goes, yeah. I said, yeah, it's Sushan. So I don't know <laughs> if we have our own, own biases as well, but um, they, they are very, very similar. In fact, she calls she calls Sushan the, uh, the the pop Josh Radin, or the Josh Radin, the pop Sushan Stevens. Okay. So. See, I have not listened to enough Sushan Stevens to know that they sound alike. Because yeah. the few that you've played for me, I liked the one. I don't remember what it was, but it was a jazzy number. Um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, forget, I don't even remember. I what think it, it was off of uh, it was off of Michigan. All those titles were like two sentences long, but it's right. the one that the all good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah, that sounds yeah, right. Yeah. But 
I don't, you you made the mistake of playing Christmas Unicorn, and now I just I I really I do not know that I can ever give the man a, another chance. You know, you know <laughs> so. it's funny. He he recorded probably more Christmas music than any artist, um, like probably a hundred or more different Christmas songs. He just loves Christmas, and because he produces everything on in his own studio, he has the luxury to just release a lot of content. Um, this year for the holiday season, I was so sick of Christmas music. You know, after fifty years. Uh, I really couldn't listen to it, which is a shame because I've always liked Christmas music. So what I did was I found a, a Spotify playlist of all of Suchan's Christmas recordings. And they're all just arranged enough, interesting enough. A lot of them are very, very traditional Christmas songs where he put his spin on it. And I found myself being able to listen to his version of Christmas music, which was nice. I was just kind of sick of the same old arrangements, the same old artists. All right, yeah. And these were the great songs, but for in a new light. That being said, every so often Christmas Unicorn would come up <laughs> and I would get excited because it's such an epic song. <laughs> oh, it is epic. <laughs> I'll give you that. All right. Okay. That's all so, for Josh Radin. All right. No, I, I, I did. I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, my next one, uh, Gail chose a more contemporary song. We're staying in the 2000s. Uh, this one comes from the 2001 album Songs in A Minor. It was a number one hit. It is titled Fallen and it is by Alicia Keys. reasoning she said alicia keys may have the richest most silky voice of any artist recording today and on this track she puts so much feeling into it i love the song because it provides an unusual perspective about loving relationships i think we all fall in and out of love with our partner from time to time but when the flame is rekindled when you fall in love with him or her again after growing complacent there's no greater joy than rediscovering the love of your life chad that was actually a really sweet yeah. Uh, oh, yeah explanation um this is what I have to share about Fallen. Uh, first of all, I love Alicia Keys. I love Alicia Keys. I, Gail and I went to see her uh, live last summer. She put on an incredible show. Um, she is one of my favorite artists recording today, so I was thrilled that Gail chose this particular track. Fallen opens with a bit of classical music, actually, by Chopin. Uh, who Keyes calls my dog, by, by the way. Um, Keyes actually studied artists like Chopin, Beethoven, Mozart, uh, when she played the piano growing up. She was born Alicia Agello Cook, but she took the stage name Keyes because of the piano imagery. Oh, um, makes sense. Unlike modern samples, classical music, of course, is fair game for reinterpretation, can be used without paying for it, There, there is no copyright uh, no publishing, songwriting, royalties need paid. Um, Alicia Keys has often pulled classical music for her for her 
particular tracks. Um, this was the first single from Keys, who was only 20 years old when it was released. Um, but she had actually started writing the song three years earlier. Uh, she was a prodigy who signed with Columbia Records when she was 16. Keys wrote the song while she was at the label, but her Columbia album never materialized as she never clicked with their vision. Then when she was 18, she left for J Records, which was a new label founded by Clive Davis. And under Davis, she was given more creative freedom, which worked out very well. Fallen was a huge hit and it validated Davis' strategy. Keys was going through a turbulent relationship of her own when she wrote this song. It was a case of young love being vivid as it was a new experience. And, and Keys said that your first one affects you even more so because you don't have the experience to know how to play it. You're tripping your way through it and those hardships and good times and just growing is how Fallen developed. And Keys said that writing the song actually helped her work things out in the relationship. But she also has said that the song was inspired in part by her mother. Uh, who raised her on her own. Uh, her dad split when she was two years old. And um, she said her mom helped inspire the song. Uh, her mom could drive Alicia crazy at times, I guess, but her love for her was unwavering, which that's just, you know, being a mom, um, a good mom. Uh, the success of this song, though, it, it led to great anticipation for the album, which debuted at number one and stayed there for three weeks. And on the strength of this single, the album Songs Name Minor sold over 11 million copies worldwide. Uh, Fallen won the 2001 Grammys for Song of the Year, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, and Best R&B Song. And, and Keys performed this on the show and also won awards for Best New Artist and Best R&B Album. As an aside, in 2003, after the second season of American Idol, Judge Simon Cowell banned this song from the show uh, <laughs> because contestants kept singing it and the judges couldn't take it anymore. And I, I actually found uh, this interesting. It wasn't the only song to get the axe uh, that season because Cal also um, axed, he also f uh, just banned Candle in the Wind and I Will Always Love You. Hmm. Um, now, I've never, I, I watched American Idol in its beginnings. Um, I don't remember artists singing these three songs a lot, though. I do remember, I only watched the first couple, too, you know, when they okay. came out, but I, I remember a lot of people trying Whitney Houston in general. Well. And they were like, you know, <clears throat> nobody, no amateur should attempt Whitney Houston. Correct, yeah. Like, that's, that's hard shoes to fill. So, but maybe that was the song that I, I picked. Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's just, it, because I remember when I did watch American Idol, and again, it was only the first two or three seasons that I watched, but I just remember every contestant singing Adele. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted to be the new Adele. I, I don't remember Fallen as one of their choices, but I found it interesting. Apparently it was, and Simon Cowell said no more so there you go Alicia right. Keys yeah no I, I like her I don't uh, I've never really kind of delved past the uh, the singles in her career but uh, enjoy her performance and yeah she's legit oh yeah she's, she's good alright the next one this is um, okay so here's a here's a band that uh, that my wife introduced me well I shouldn't say that it's the second band because Josh Radin she introduced me to as well um, and this is uh, a band a, a British band called Scars on 45 and the song is Crazy For You came out in 2014 so this is one of the newer ones from the album Safety in Numbers I've tried 
Are you familiar with Scars Before You Fell? I'm, I don't know their work well, but I, I knew this song. Okay. Yeah, okay I, I had heard this song. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. This may have crossed over to commercial radio. I'm not sure if this one did or not. Uh, I don't, It's one that Gil has played oh, okay. a number of times, yeah. so I, I don't know where she was introduced to it, but I'm, I had heard it through through my own life. So. Scars Under 45 finally broke through in the U.S. after several of their songs were featured, here we go, on American television shows like CSI and Grey's Anatomy. So I think this is interesting. I, and I, I kind of observed this before. Um, in, in the 80s, right, it was really big having singles and movie crossovers. Mm-hmm. We had a whole episode about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was very common. You had a hit movie like Back to the Future or, or Top Gun. And some recording artists would create a huge song to promote the movie, and then the movie promoted the song. And that kind of, we talked about how that kind of fell away, um, right. especially in the 2000s. Well, in many ways now, TV, prestige TV, has become the new movie. I even saw people like Harrison Ford, like he refused. In fact, he was offered a lot of television roles when he was young in California when he was working as a carpenter, and he turned them all down until he could become a movie star because the stigma of being a TV star, like it was really hard to be a TV star and then cross over to movies because it was seen as a lesser medium, right? Um, Who else, someone else is, oh, Sylvester Stallone's on a new TV show as well. And then everything flipped. So now with Prestige TV, all the great actors are, are looking for roles. Harrison Ford's in, in that Yellowstone, um, I guess it's a prequel. And you're seeing music now, especially during the 2000s. And I think it's because it was so much cheaper. Television has a lower budget than movies, right? Right. And so there were all these indie artists that were, I mean, that was, it was huge. We still have a lot of indie artists, especially mm-hmm. with now that you can record and kind of distribute stuff on your own online. And so a lot of the artists that became popular became popular because their stuff was cheap <laughs> and was used on television shows um, and commercials. Anyway, um, this song is pretty straightforward, as most love songs are. Sometimes the simplicity of the song, though, is exactly what's called for. And I think this is a perfect example. So no high metaphor here, you know, no, no hidden coded language. This pretty much just flat out says, I'm crazy for you, um, simple as you can get. My wife discovered them on our local indie station. We're very fortunate to have 91.3 The Summit. Yep. Sometimes it's a little crackly, depending on where you are, <laughs> uh, even though Akron is only you know 20 miles away. But um, And we caught them live. A lot of these artists we've seen live. We saw them in Musica in Akron, okay. which is a great place to see a show, a small oh, little yeah. intimate setting. Yeah, I love Musica. Saw Dinosaur Jr. there, too. Did you really? Yeah. That would have been That a was great the last show. concert I've ever been to. So Jay Maskus had these Marshall amps, this whole like wall of Marshall amps. And it was the most crowded show. I mean, it was so crowded. Oh, well, yeah, music is not a big event. I mean, yeah, so. we were shoulder to shoulder the entire time. Right. But, but you didn't care because Dinosaur Jr. is so incredible. Um, but, yeah, it was so loud. I thought my hearing probably was permanently damaged after that. And there were, occasion, there were, there were times when he's shredding, he would hit a note 
that was so high and loud that it just was painful. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, yeah. Um, I don't know much more about Scars on 45. I know my, my I think they have several albums and my wife knows them all and, and, and loves them, but um, this is the only song I really know by them. Yeah, yeah I, and again, I don't know how Gail knows them, but I, she's played this one for me, so I I knew it, but I, I couldn't tell you a thing about the, the artist, about the band, so. But, no, it's, it's, it is. It's, like you said, straightforward. It's just a pretty song. Yeah, I mean, the, the band is just kind of a, a, a pop alternative. Yeah. You know, very, very traditional. This is a song like this, I think, could have hit in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It does have that timeless feel to it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's very, yeah. I mean, in a good way, 80s, not in oh, a no, I, not, bad yeah, way, 80s. No, <laughs> agreed, agreed, yeah. Um, now, well, on the flip side of that, you know, bad 80s is, is never timeless. <laughs> so, right. Well, like we just talked about Chicago. Right. I mean, that's a good uh, example. Uh, yeah. Which, it's so painful to be so anti-Chicago because in the 70s they were the jazz fusion was just there was no one like that right right and it just oh I don't know but we didn't choose Chicago so I don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know why, why I'm lamenting um, okay so here's Gil's fifth song for side A she went with All My Life by Casey and Jojo explanation her reasoning she said casey and jojo's voices are like butter they are sexy as hell this is the song in my opinion that every straight girl or woman wants a man to sing to her this is how she wants him to feel about her it doesn't get any better than this yeah i'd never heard of of, of the artist but when i heard the song i recognized this song was everywhere when it came out yeah um well let me tell you a bit about the artist brothers casey and jojo haley uh, were founder members of the sexually provocative swing beat outfit Jodeci. You ever heard of Jodeci? Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, Jodeci enjoyed several U.S. chart hits during the 90s, including Lately and Get On Up. Um, but in 1996, Casey and Jodo decided to temporarily split from Jodeci to record on their own, and success came swiftly when the, when the duo featured prominently on Tupac's number one single, How Do You Want It, that summer. 
Uh, Casey and JoJo then released their debut record, Love Always, in 1997. Uh, it was a very ballad-heavy album, uh, which was in stark contrast to the sex-fueled work of Jodeci. Uh, Casey told Billboard magazine, with Jodeci, we might sing Freakin' You, and with Casey and JoJo, we don't use the word sex. So Love Always actually reached the U.S. Top 10 and went multi-platinum, spawning three Hot 100 charting singles, including April 1998's chart-topping All My Life, which, of course, is the song that Gail has chosen here. Uh, The album, which reached the U.S. Top 10 and went multi-platinum, it spawned three Hot 100 charting singles, including uh, this song. And JoJo penned also the tender love ballad um, himself. It was a tribute, he said, to his seven-year-old daughter, Kayla. So there we go, another song written uh, for for a daughter that was then... That could be a whole episode, right? Yeah, it really could, yeah. That um, was then transitioned easily into an all-purpose love song. Um, the track almost didn't make it onto the album, though. The song was originally supposed to be used for another artist, a female artist on A&M Records. Um, but I, I don't know who that is. Uh, that's just what JoJo told MTV News at the time. But we listened to it, and after we got out of the studio... He said, it was like, I'm keeping this, it's too good. And the song's piano line has been sampled on several other recordings, actually, including Chris Brown's 2005 hit, Say Goodbye, and Nelly's 2007 track, uh, What'd You Name? And I know neither of those songs. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I, in fact, I don't even know that I pronounced Jodeci right. So, no. I, yeah. I don't know if it's Jodeci, Jodeci, I don't know. I'm assuming Jodeci because it's Jojo and Casey, but... You know, if we have any fans out there of late 90s music, just remember that we are Gen X. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. hopefully I, did, I pronounced everything correctly. Our know. Gen X is showing. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But uh, yeah, no, all my life, I mean, this song was everywhere. I don't know how anybody does not know this song unless they've been living under a rock for the last 20 years. So, there you go, her number yeah. five. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. It has a nice melody, even it though does. it's not, not really my style. No, mine neither. All right, uh, next one. I love this song. This is uh, this is "Want to" by Sugarland from 2006. Enjoy the ride. My wife and I are not country fans, but we often enjoy Americana, folk, alt-country. 
And although Sugarland is pretty solid in the country category in the way that they're produced, at least the first several albums, their music is inspired by a lot of Gen X rock, pop, and alternative music. Kind of like Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks was mm-hmm. heavily inspired by a lot of, um, I won't say secular artists, um, non-country artists, right. pop secular, artists, rock secular. artists. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and their lyrics are always very, very interesting. Um, one thing I like about country music are the stories. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, we featured Sugarland on this program, um, I think, first season. Um, I forget which song we chose, but I know I talked about them a little bit. This song went to number one on the country billboard chart. And it deals with that moment when one has to decide whether or not to make the plunge from friendship to love. And I just really love the imagery in, in, in this. It's not really a story per se, but it just has this imagery of this young couple. I believe they go out on a boat. They're ha- they've been hanging out for a while and they kind of come to a point where they have to decide whether or not to take it to the next level or not. Um, I gave Sugarland a shot after reading an article in Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, I loved Entertainment Weekly. I did too. Um, yeah, it was probably more of an advertisement for stuff, you know. But looking back, a lot of good stuff came from me reading. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Entertainment Weekly. I'm still sad that it, it went under. Yeah, well, I think it's isn't it, um, online now. Maybe not. Maybe it went. Under I thought. Uh, well, I know they transitioned online, but I thought yeah. they were. I thought it finally just folded. They might have. Um, I could be wrong about that. But um, you know. When I was reading the article, and they talked about their influences, alternative influences, and so forth, so I, I you know, I, I bought, um, I think, I don't, maybe this record or the third record to see, and again, I, uh, you know, the production again was a little polished for me, but I could, I could hear the roots of the music, despite all that. I just mm-hmm. wish they take the veneer, veneer off a little bit, and and keep it a little bit raw, a little bit more folk. But I understand commercially, this was much more appealing. Um, so, yeah, my, my wife and I got to see them live. We went to Erie, PA, to see them. What was cool is that my daughter was just old enough to go to a concert, and she liked Sugarland as well. So we took her and her friend. And we had floor seats. We were probably like 10th, 15th row. Hmm. But then, of course, everybody stood up, and then everyone started to kind of mix and mingle. And Carly, and especially her friend, who was much shorter, had a difficult time seeing the stage. So the people around us kind of pushed us up to the front so they could so the kids could see oh that's awesome and so we were front row for for half of the show and uh, it was awesome and i remember on the way back i told the girls i said um you know this is your first concert You're, you've spoiled all concerts for the rest of your life now because you don't get closer than that and uh yeah it was cool cool experience yeah i, I well, hell i've never been front row for any concert so that is i mean First concert out the gate. That is awesome. Now, House of Blues shows, a lot of times, if you, if, at least in Cleveland, if you eat at the House of Blues before a show, oh, yeah. you get to go in like half an hour early. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of the shows I've seen there, you know, we went and ate, and so I was able to, you know, stand in the front. And then I realized that the artists don't want to see middle-aged men. No, they don't. <laughs> they absolutely Especially, do not. And I'm, and I'm tall, taller, so um, I always am self-conscious that I'm blocking somebody. So, yes, I did get to experience a few front row um, concerts, but I was very uncomfortable because of those two <laughs> reasons. Well, and, you know, I mean, like the Grog Shop. I remember mm-hmm. yeah. you know, th- there yeah. are venues where you can just walk right. the floor. Right. Um, in fact, hell, when we saw the Smithereens in Toledo years ago. Yeah, it's not that I've never been, right. yeah, but but an actual concert with, with 
Like in a, a city per, with purchase seating. Yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine what ticket prices must be to be front row for a major artist. Well, today, I mean, people forget, and if you're younger, you don't know this, but back in the '80s, every ticket was twenty bucks or twenty-five oh, yeah. bucks. And didn't and, matter if it was front row or or last row. Yep. And you had to wait in line. Oh, the lottery. Yeah. And you had a lottery and an armband. So when you yep. two came. You showed up, you got your armband, and what that did was prevent people from camping out all night because you kind yeah. of you know, determined your place in line. But I also remember, this is how old we are, I remember peop- I remember back when you could oh, yeah. camp out all night. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. fact, I did it. I remember yeah. doing it for at least one or two concerts. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, because it was a Ticketron in Sears yeah. at our local mall, and it was first come, first serve. Yeah, because it was at Sears, and then, um, I'm trying to think, Quasinut had Ticketmaster 2 for a while, didn't they? Oh, they might have. I, I vaguely recall buying tickets a couple yeah. times to Quantum. I, yeah, but, but there were actual, yeah. um, the grocery stores, Giant Eagle, when they opened, had, of course, ticket map. But yeah, it was just. If you were, the, if you were there first in line, uh, chances are you were going to get a first couple rows. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you know, money. <laughs> right, yeah. And they realized, wait a minute. Well, first of all, now you can't even get that section because they buy them up and scalpers oh, yeah. sell them and everything. But yeah, you know, not only could you get the best seat because you were there first, but you know, you're paying the exact same as the person that got there last. Well, and you know, it's crazy because I, um, the day before Taylor Swift broke Ticketmaster, <laughs> uh-huh. I, I had purchased tickets for Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks who are, who are coming to concert together. Um, I've never seen Stevie Nicks and uh, Gail was interested in seeing her as well. Billy Joel, I can't count how many times I've seen Billy Joel at this point, but I, I learned, because I didn't even know Taylor Swift was on tour and I, I learned when I was you know, in the queue to buy the tickets for Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks that the very next day Taylor Swift was uh, going to go on sale, um, or pre-sale, I guess, at the time. It was the pre-sale. And I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool. There's a part of me, because we saw her at the Rock and Roll Hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In and I took my daughter to see her at her stadium concert in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah, I know you've seen her. Yeah. Um, our, our friend Tad, of course, I think he took... Um, probably Maddie, probably yeah. Maddie. Yeah. I think to to see her, but I, you know, I was that middle aged man who, who scoffed at Taylor Swift for so long until I found out she's the real deal. Oh yeah, she's the real deal. She and now I'm. There's a part of me that would love to see her live, and I, I just wow. I mean, what yeah, she, happened with the Ticketmaster oh, yeah, no. fiasco is just unbelievable. She's to me. she's going to an obvious Hall of Famer. She's going to be spoken with the the greatest names of of pop music. Um, you know, Madonna and Aretha and all these people. And and what I love about it is that, you know, she has so much control or taken back a lot of control of her music. Mm-hmm. Um, her writing has evolved. She's not a one trick pony, right? She went from country to pop to then kind of a, a folk phase. And she just is always doing something interesting. Not a lot of some of those periods aren't, aren't what I prefer to listen to, but I, I see that it's real, it's authentic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm put it this way with rock being dead. Uh, I'm still glad that there is a semi-rock. I would say she's she's somewhat rock, right? Um, well, she plays her own instruments. Plays she her own instruments. Her own music. It's she, just you know just yeah, has more of a, a pop feel to it. Um, it is it's still the number one artist. Um, and kids kids today wouldn't refer to it as rock. Oh, but, of course not. But I mean, if you listen to rock, you know, if step back a little bit. It's it's rock. Yeah. Well, she she hits all of those. You know, she ticks off every box. I mean, I she's am. as rock as Michael Jackson and uh, and Madonna were. You know. Yeah, I I think you'd have a lot of people arguing against that idea too. But you're, you're well, right. just, I, again, those you know, the, when we talk rock, we're, we're talking popular music, popular music. Yeah, where the artist has control over the every every 
facet, you know, every, every step of the process. They write, they uh, play, they, you know, everything. And, you know, if that is your definition, which is what rock has Well, been, yes and no. I mean, Elvis Presley played a lot of stuff Le- that was written by other people. True, that was all Lieber and Stoller. So. But, um, so that's not necessarily a qualifier, but I just think, I don't know. To me, to me rock is traditionally drums, guitar, bass, lead singer. Maybe a keyboard in there, depending, right? That's 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 the traditional setup, and there's all sorts right. of offshoots of that. Now, when you start getting into rap and, and the sampling, it, it's it's a branch off that still is under rock and roll, but I don't consider rock. Right. The fact that Taylor Swift still tours with drummer, bass player, guitar players, performer songs to me that's still rock. Hmm. It's pop rock, but it's rock. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna argue. I mean, it's not that, techno, yeah. right? It's it's <laughs> not it's not country. I mean, what no. else would you define it yeah. other than no, pop it rock? Is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. I um, I guess um, here's my question though. Pearl Jam tried and they they went down in flames. Mm-hmm. Do you think finally we're going to see the monopoly of Ticketmaster and Live Nation broken up and ticket prices coming down? To, yeah, that's one they need to break up. They, they do. I remember. I remember when Blossom first had Gold Circle seating. Oh yeah. And that's when I knew, I'm like, okay, this is the end of um, first come, first serve, you know? And it's just gone crazy. I mean, tw- we used to think like 25 bucks was expensive. I remember thinking, I can buy two CDs for that, you know, or three CDs for that. But uh, now, oh, you know. Well, now the nosebleeds are sometimes $200, $250. Yeah, right, for you know? Know, yeah. So you want to get on the floor, it's thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah. In fact, I was really disappointed in Springsteen on this tour. Yeah. I really, of all the artists, I was really I don't know. I couldn't believe that he was asking such prices, but I, I am curious if what happened um, the day that Ticketmaster was broken right. by Taylor Swift, if finally we're going to see could the, be. the there prices. Could be a lawsuit down. in there somewhere. Maybe maybe Swift will, will sue. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm all for the free market. Like people complain about athletes and artists getting as much as they did. Well, that's because that's what people are willing to pay. Right. So I'm not begrudging Springsteen. Um, now this one felt a little price gouging because he is so big. But, you know, in, in, in free market principles, uh, if it gets too expensive, people will stop coming. Unfortunately, with sports and music and coffee from Starbucks, <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you no, go back you're, to the you're, 80s, you are right. If yeah. you would go back to the 80s and say that a, a lot of people every single morning would spend five, six, seven dollars on a cup of coffee before work, you'd say that's who would do that. Right. And as long as people continue to buy it, the price is going to go up. So, yeah. Well, I, I just remember even the critics were just really disappointing because Springsteen is supposed to be for the working man yeah. you know and that's where the price gouging kind of felt yeah. wrong I guess but yeah oh well here's what it is we didn't go to this one anyway or buy tickets for this one so nope. Nope. alright here is number six uh, Gail's final pick for side A um, this one goes by two names sometimes it is I'm kissing you and sometimes it's just kissing you uh, either way it was the love theme from Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet Mm, from 1996. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
Desiree is the singer. Um, Gail's reasoning for this one, and uh, this came as no surprise to me. I already knew it. She said, okay, in my opinion, this is the most romantic song I've ever heard. Hmm. And she's told me that countless times. To her, this is the most romantic love song ever written. She said, I can play this song on repeat for hours. In fact, I have. And the emotion in her voice just washes over me, and it is just this feeling like, ah. And she said, you, you just feel it in your gut, you know. Uh, plus, she said, bonus, the 1996 version of Romeo and Juliet, which was amazing. So here, here's my take on this song, because I've heard her play it so many times that I, I, I now I find myself in agreement with her much of the time. Um, I'm not particularly a fan of Desiree. I, I know she had the one other big hit, You Gotta Be, uh, in, the, in I think it was the mid-90s. But um, I do give her props because Kissing You is, is it really is one of the most beautiful songs I've heard too. Uh, certainly not on the level that Gil places it. I mean, I'm not, not putting it on a pedestal, but it is an original sound and she sings it with such passion. And this is a song you want to slow dance to. Uh, my wife thinks it is the most romantic, so playing it always deepens her mood, which is a, a perk, I suppose. Um, Desiree wrote this song with Timothy Attack for Baz Luhrmann's 1996 film, uh, the, the actual title, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Uh, the song was included in the film's soundtrack album and on Desiree's third studio album, which was titled Supernatural. Uh, it is a pop ballad set in the key of A minor. The record uses simple instrumentation. It only has piano and string instruments. There's no beat to this song, which, you know, it... it it's just the indigo pleasures of her contralto range. And apart from the ability to reach a lower register than most female singers, Desiree's voice also has a velvety, almost smoky timbre. And, and it's a heavier weight, which I think helps to make this a lovely, very lulling track. Kissing You featured prominently in uh, Romeo and Juliet. Um, it's when the title characters first meet at the ball at the Capulet's mansion. And Desiree actually appears in the scene. She's performing the song as Leo and Claire uh, lock eyes from either side of the large fish tank. Um, I am not a Shakespearean purist, and so I, I actually loved Buzz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. Well, they, they, I don't think they changed any dialogue, right? No, the, the dialogue, dialogue was, was, was exact. Yeah. Exact, yeah. Um, but I just love the whole spaghetti western feel. I, I, well, that's what's great. I love interpretations. Oh, of I Shakespeare. do too. And I, there were so many people that just were so down on that film, and I thought it was genius. I, I, in fact, Buzz Lerman, I don't know that he has ever disappointed me. There have been things that I've not particularly loved. I loved his Gatsby. was great. Oh, Gatsby was fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, well, Moulin Rouge, Moulin Rouge was is great. amazing. Yeah. We talked about Elvis already. Yeah. I mean, he is just, I, I don't know. He just, he, he approaches his subject matter in such unconventional ways. Well, a lot of yeah. anachronisms, right? Especially music. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe not visually, but like in Gatsby, right? Everything was mm. period correct in the visual. Yeah. But then they had covers of like Roxy Music and all oh, sorts yeah. of other modern bands. Well, and Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I mean, the entire, I mean, you, oh, yeah. you never knew, it was, it was the greatest mm. hits of the 20th century. Right. You never knew what was coming next. Um, but, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not a Shakespearean purist. I, I love interpretation like you do. And this song for me was a high point of the film. I mean, it just, it, it just smacked of romance. 
Um, the song was well received by critics for its emotional melody and its toned down production. Um, Kissing You, I did not know this, was actually covered by Beyonce in 2007 and an accompanying music video was, was filmed, but she retitled the song Still in Love and then in parentheses, Kissing You. And that change of title and music video went against copyright terms and Desiree's publishers filed a lawsuit against Beyonce, her representatives. Um, infringing albums were recalled and both sides agreed that the case would be settled out of court. So I found that interesting. I, I had no idea it had been covered and Beyonce, of course, being so huge. But this song, um, it charted in the UK, did not chart here in the US. I don't know that it was ever released as a commercial single, but yeah, it's Gail's favorite uh, love song and it's just, I've heard her play it so much that it's become one of mine. Yeah, so great. there you go. All right. Last one. Last one. Okay, this is the, well, the second probably most common band that my wife and I have together, and that is um, Jim Blossoms. And this is Follow You Down. My wife and I are both very passionate about this band. Their, their brand of alternative rock was, was really made possible when grunge and 80s alternative moved into the zeitgeist and chased away pop and hair metal and all that stuff that was uh, <clears throat> beginning to kind of take over. The, uh, the song was a hit for the band, reached number nine on Billboard's Hot 100, but it was a last minute addition to the record. Um, critics were favorable to the sound. One referred to it as, quote, easy listening ultra rock of the first order, which I thought was an interesting description. My wife and I had an opportunity to see them uh, at least four times, most recently uh, this summer with Toad the Wet Sprocket and Bare Naked Ladies, which was a good show up at Nautica. Yeah, I wanted to see that one. I didn't make it, though. Now, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know if I should say feel bad. Jim Blossoms are so solid, but, you know, they had a few albums and, and, and that was it commercially for them. They've continued to play. It just, I don't know why I say I feel bad, but like we saw them, um, there, there's a high school in the area, um, Glen Oak, which has mm -hmm. a really nice performing arts hall, and they actually ran it out for, for shows. Really? Yeah, yeah. They had different artists they brought in, and Jim Blossoms was one that they brought in. No way. So we saw them there at Glen Oak High School. And then Jackson Township um, has a festival every summer. Right. Where they've had Rick Springfield has played there, and, and several, um, Eddie Money, and Jim Blossoms played there. When? I don't know. This was back, you know, early 2000s, mid, mid to late 2000s, maybe. It's been a while. 
I have yeah. no memory of that. Yeah. Damn, yeah. I would have would have happily gone to that. Yeah. Um, but I just it, to me it hits that they're, they're that that jangle kind of jangle pop oh, rock are. alternative. They definitely are. I mean, they owe everything to the birds, you know, in their style. And um, it's funny because we'll hear something similar and we're like, that sounds very Jim Blossomy, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and yeah, the Jim Blossom still, they had the greatest line of any song about infidelity. And the moment they sing, oh, yeah, yeah. you can't call it cheating. She reminds me she of you. She reminds me of you. Yeah. Oh, that's just, I, <laughs> of course, we're at the end of a relationship talking about that and here we're doing falling in love. But yeah, I just, the Jim Blossoms, I mean, they are solid and it takes me back to our days on FAO, you know, because college radio, I don't know, were they in rotation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where I first heard Hey Jealousy. I was going to say, I I know we played them and we were still arguably a classic rock AOL AOL format station at the time um, before the transition. But yeah, I've always... Loved yeah, that's where I, where I discovered them, and um, yeah, and my wife picked up on it. And we we yeah. really enjoy that. So um, Allison Road, yep. Yeah, so. and, and it's funny. I, I tried my hand a while back at writing some songs, which I'm not a very good songwriter, but uh, but I had fun. You know, I think it was maybe last. We had a huge storm last year where we were snowed in for a couple of days and had nothing to do. So I hooked all my stuff up to the computer and I I played a you know a bass part, a guitar part, and put in some you know virtual drums and everything. And so I played it for my wife, and you know what she said? What? Sound, sounds gin blossomy. <laughs> so uh, obviously that's that's my wheelhouse. If if stuff that I try to create ends up sounding like them, well, you are the jangle pop meister. Oh, so, I love it. Yeah, love it. REM and birds and all that good stuff. Oh yeah, Tom Petty. Hmm. Good stuff. It's funny. My friend Rick has this. Um, um, he can't be friends with anyone who doesn't like Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his test. <laughs> Now, we were watching old uh, videos on MTV Classic, and I said I wasn't fond of Eddie Money the other day. And uh, he's like, I don't know, that might be the same as Tom Petty. We may have to stop hanging out. I'm not a big Eddie Money guy. I've never been an Eddie Money. I mean, he has a few songs that I I appreciate, but he has nothing that I want to play on my own. Yeah, well, it was BMI a little bit. He liked how they worked Ryan Spector into the song, and it was an homage to Phil Spector. Yeah, that's cool. But. What is that? Take me home tonight. Yeah. Is that the yeah, one? Take, where, take me home tonight. Yeah. I always liked. I think I'm in love. That's a good, good song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I liked. I liked early Eddie Money. Um, well, I, I like Two Tickets to Paradise. Mm-hmm. Always, mm-hmm. always enjoyed that one. It's not. He's an artist that I don't turn off when he comes on. Right. You know, I don't turn the station, but I've certainly never played. You know, I've never played Eddie Money on my own. It's just. And we've talked about that, like how some bands, like Springsteen and Joel. You know, those are people's favorite bands, like or, or, or artists. But like Mellencamp, like everyone kind of likes Mellencamp, but I never met anyone like that's their favorite artist of all time. No, I haven't either. Same with Tom Petty. Everyone likes Tom Petty for yeah. the most part, but I, I I don't know anyone that like that's their favorite. So what is it like? Why some bands like Springsteen and Joel become someone's favorite band, and these others are just well liked and popular? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure someone somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there know. is, but I just I never I've never heard that before. Yeah. No, I I always love Tom Petty. In fact, I'm, still to this day, I could kick myself because the last time that he toured, um, Gail and I we we were going to buy tickets and we slept in that morning. Oh, we just slept through the alarm, so we didn't you know didn't get a chance to purchase them. And I said the next time he comes, we are definitely going to see Tom Petty yeah, well. and of course there was no next time but yeah we, we were on par we were going to buy tickets that morning we just slept through the, <laughs> slept I, through I, the arm. I remember almost 30 years ago 
And of course, when we were 30 years ago, baby boomers seemed old to us now that like we're older than that. But I remember James Taylor that comes to blossom every single time. You and I have talked about this so many times. And we're like, we got to do this. The 30 years ago, we're saying things like we got to go see him before he dies. And we still haven't. (laughs) No. And he's still touring. Yep. Maybe this August, we need to make it a point. Maybe maybe the the wives and and you and I will go see James Taylor Blossom. That'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, we have we've talked about it for oh decades. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's crazy. All right, well that's all I have. Yep, that is side A. So, so yeah, we'll be back next week with side B. Yep, twelve more cuts from the wives. So hopefully, uh, hopefully enjoyed our wives' musical tastes. So not much to defend, really. I mean, oh, they. Yeah. they Good choices, solid choices. Yeah, very well. So, all right, hot fun, cool punk. Even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker Turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slice of time
Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slice of time